Good evening, this is Quintus Curtius, and welcome back to the Fortress of the Mind podcast. And in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about a subject that probably most of us have experienced with or dealt with at one time or another in our lives. And that is the situation where we just do not feel challenged or inspired by the job that we have. And I got the idea to do this podcast from reading an article recently in the Foreign Policy Online Magazine, Foreign Policy Magazine. And this was an article by a Marine lieutenant named Thomas E. Ricks. Thomas E. Ricks. And this appeared in Foreign Policy back in 2013. But I only came across it just maybe a couple days ago. And I really felt for this guy. I, I, uh, the title of the article is, We're Getting Out of the Marines Because We Wanted to Be Part of an Elite Force. And in this article, he explains his frustrations with dealing with the Marine Corps' bureaucracy and the uh, dullards and dunces that he had to deal with in the military. And he felt like that was just something that he just didn't want to deal with anymore. And I felt a lot of sympathy for this guy because uh, having been a Marine Lieutenant myself back in the 90s, I really uh, felt like a lot of the things that he was talking about just jumped out at me and resonated with me. And I'll read you some of the passages from his article. Um, he says, and by the way, I'll put a link to this article in the post when I do this for my site at qcurtius.com if you want to read the entire article. I'll put in a link there so you can see the whole thing. But I'll read the relevant points here. He says, Why are we getting out? It's because, or it's about the low standards. We joined because we wanted to be part of an elite organization dedicated to doing amazing things in defense of our nation. We wanted to make a contribution to something great, to be able to look back at a decisive chapter in American history and say, Yeah, I was part of that. We wanted to serve with the best. We wanted the kind of job that would make our friends who took soulless, high-paying corporate jobs feel pangs of jealousy because we went to work every day with a purpose. It causes a deep, bitter pain to acknowledge that I don't think that this is the organization in which I currently serve. The reason we're getting out is because the Marine Corps imposes a high degree of stress yet accepts mission failure so long as all the boxes in the list are checked. I'm talking about the field-grade intelligence officer in Afghanistan who didn't know who Mullah Omar was. I'm talking about a senior staff NCO in the intelligence community who could not produce a legible paragraph. I'm talking about a battalion commander who took pride in the fact that he had done zero research on Afghanistan because it allowed him to approach his deployment with a, quote, open mind, unquote. I'm talking about contractors some of whom were literally paid tenfold the salary of my junior Marines, who were incapable of performing basic tasks and functionally illiterate. The problem is not so much that these individuals pop up every now and then, as every organization has its bad eggs, but rather that we see them passed on through the system, promoted and rewarded. If we are truly the elite organization we claim to be, how do we justify the fact that we allow these individuals to retain positions of immense influence, much less promote them through the ranks? How do we justify this endemic tolerance for mediocrity or outright incompetence? 
Well, I'll read a few more of his passages a little bit later in the broadcast, but I think for now you can get the idea what he's getting at. This is a young lieutenant who was deployed to Afghanistan and was shocked by all the dunces, dullards, idiots, and morons that he encountered and that he had to serve with. And make no mistake, every organization has them. Every organization has them. The Marine Corps has them. Navy has them. Uh, Army has them. Every Even uh, units that claim to be elite all have their share of idiots, dunces, and dullards. So anyway, this guy goes on to talk about how he wants to get out because he just didn't feel like he was being challenged or inspired by what he saw and what he experienced. And as I said, I sympathize with that. But, you know, and when I was in my 20s, you know, when I got out, I I did four years of active duty, then I did a little bit of reserve time. And when I got out, I, you know, I felt like I could have written this article that this guy wrote. You know, that's why it kind of really reached out and touched me because I really felt for this guy. I, I knew what he was thinking. I knew what he was going through. I could feel the bitterness coming through in the paragraphs. And I felt like, yeah, man, you know, I, I get it. I, I, I've been there. You know, it hasn't, I, I kind of laughed to myself and said, hey, you know, it looks like it hasn't changed. <laughs> looks like it really hasn't changed since the 90s. It's just that they get paid more now. There's a lot more money than there used to be floating around. That This was the, uh, the pre-war on terror Marine Corps. But let me just offer a few observations that as I've gotten older and as I've passed through or I'm in the middle of my 40s here, I think I have a little bit more of a perspective than I did in my 20s. And I might be able to offer some some uh, possibly countervailing opinion as to, you know, to complement what he's saying here. First is, you know, if you think that any military organization is going to be completely composed of elites and top-of-the-line, hardcore, ass-kicking, snake-eating, hard-charging, uh, you know, uh, you know, mission-oriented guys, you know, you're, you're just delusional. It's, it's, it's never going to be like that. It's never going to be that way. And it never has been that way. I think it's been estimated. I don't know where, where I don't know where these estimates would have come from, but I think I remember reading once that in any military organization, or probably any organization in general, at most no more than 15%, no more than 15 or 20% of the personnel are going to be worth a shit when the chips really are down. Now think about that for a minute. Think about, really think about that. No more than 15 to 20% of the people are going to be worth anything when the shit really hits the fan. And that's just the reality. The vast majority of people in any organization are incompetent or inept or are content simply to just go with the flow, to just ride it out, go with the flow, check the boxes, and collect the paycheck. That's the reality. That's just the reality. And it's always been that way. And it may be hard for this guy to process, and it may be difficult to accept, but it's always been that way. You know, I'm I'm listening right now to an audiobook and I I like to listen to audiobooks because I can spend time in the car driving as I drive uh to and from work and as I go do my job, I can 
consume good things. I can consume books rather than the nonsense on the radio. And I'm I'm listening right now, or I guess reading, quote-unquote reading, uh, Xenophon's Anabasis, the Greek historian Xenophon, X-E-N-O-P-H-O-N. Anabasis was, um, or it's also called the you know, the March of the Ten Thousand, or the the uh, the Persian Expedition, and this was a historical account of a Greek mercenary army that was hired by a usurper to the Persian throne named Cyrus, named Cyrus, and the expedition failed. Cyrus was killed, and they had to make their way back to the sea coast. And this book recounts all those details. In any case, it's not that's not really important, but there's a passage in the book where Xenophon talks about how the military, and this is like, you know, 300 BC. You know, this is, this is an ancient uh, incident. This is a, a very, very old uh, historical incident. And he talks about how the army was put on display to, to show off to the barbarian kings and potentates, and they you know, arrayed themselves in the best formations and their armor and shields and swords and went on parade and showed their drills and faced right, faced left, about faced, flanked right, flanked left to the amusement of barbarian kings whom they encountered in their march. And I just said to myself when I heard that, I said, you know what, it just hasn't changed. The dog and pony shows that we had to put on you know, in the 1990s, and this guy had to put on in the 2000s, are the same things that militaries have been putting on since 400 B.C. or 300 B.C. or whenever, maybe even earlier than that. It's It hasn't changed. Because human nature doesn't change. Because organizations don't change. So, I'm not saying this to suggest that we should accept mediocrity, that we should accept stupidity, ignorance, dullardness. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that we have to accept the human element in things. We have to accept the fact that in any organization, no more than 15 or 20 percent of the people are really going to be worth anything. And this really is important when we talk about military organizations, because let's face it, let's cut right through the bullshit. These recent colonial wars that America has been involved in, in in Iraq, in Afghanistan, other places, yeah, these have cost a great deal in terms of, of treasure, in terms of money, prestige, and loss of life. I mean, there's been, but the loss of life in these wars has been in the thousands, not in the tens of thousands, like they were in earlier wars, not like in Vietnam, not like in Korea, not like World War II, not like World War, well, World War I wasn't that, uh, uh, not like the Civil War, okay? So Americans have a very low tolerance for casualties, and this is something that our enemies have often commented on, and we've been very lucky in that respect. And I'm not trying to minimize the seriousness of Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, uh, I have nothing but respect for the people that were there, but these were not knock-down, drag-out, fights against conventional armies where tens of thousands were on the casualty lists. We just, you know, America has not been involved in that sort of a struggle since Vietnam. Arguably, not even since World War II. And 
a lot of the graft and inefficiency and incompetence that you see in peacetime in, in a garrison military would go right out the window if the balloon really went up. If there really was a knockdown, drag out fight, if there really was a war against a conventional army, a nation state, where you actually had a full spectrum of conflict, you had naval engagements, air power, armies. And don't say that, oh, that'll never happen again, and that's never going to happen again, because that's not true. Every time someone has predicted the end of conventional conflict, in another 10 years, you know, a, a huge war has broken out. So we can never say that that era is closed. We don't know. We do not know. And the enemy of the future, we don't know who it, who it could be. It could be, could be anybody. You pick the state's on that that had the roster list for for conventional enemies we don't know we just don't know but i suspect that a lot of this uh you know lackadaisical attitude and and uh you know non-elite attitude would go right out the window if the balloon really went up let me read a little bit more from his article because this is a this is a good he makes some good points here he says if you really want to know what an institution values don't look at its mottos or mission statements look at how it spends its resources especially its human capital economists call this revealed preference when i was in the midst of a time critical project aimed at mapping insurgent networks in helmand province i was told to put the project on hi on hiatus so i could organize a visit from general allen must have been some general the implicit message was that a smooth itinerary and content general were more important than catching an insurgent cell before they left for Pakistan. How else was I supposed to interpret this? In my opinion, it's not so much that the Marine Corps doesn't value ideas, but that when the chips are down and careers are at stake, it values appearance and conformity more than winning. The implicit message, what the Marine Corps reveals by its actions, is that it is okay to fail to provide any added value so long as the PowerPoint slides are free of typos, no serialized gear is lost, and everyone everyone attends the sexual harassment prevention training. Well, I had to chuckle when I read that because I felt like, yep, things really haven't changed that much since the 90s. But I think he's being a little bit hard here on his superiors because we don't know. Maybe that Maybe that mission that he was tasked, maybe that assignment that he was called to do away from finding this cell in Pakistan, maybe that would have been more of a benefit to his unit in some way than what he was working on. You know, politics in the military is a big thing, and it is important. And if, any, and if anyone thinks it is not important, then they are mistaken. Even at the small unit level, even at the tactical level, politics matters. It does matter. It's always mattered. And sometimes that can be difficult for us to wrap our minds around. But it is, uh, it is still the case. So he concludes, he says here, I don't want to be misunderstood. The most extraordinary and talented people I have ever met are still serving in the Marine Corps. I live in a wonderful area. I'm well paid and generally the people, and generally I like the people I work with. Given the chance, I would happily deploy again. But looking down the road at what the billet of a field-grade officer entails, I have to wonder whether the sacrifices will be worth it. Maybe they will. 
I've seen some field grade officers who love their jobs and feel like they're serving a purpose, but I'm not sure I'm willing to take the gamble. And you know what? That's fine, uh, Thomas. That's fine. You're not willing to take the gamble. I wasn't willing either. I got out too, but I didn't feel really any disillusionment because I never went into the military with the idea that I was going to stay there for a career. In my thinking, and I think the model that I think a lot of aggressive, you know, bright, intelligent guys who are looking for a challenge, you go into an organization like this for a limited period, you learn what you can, you get the worldly experience you can, you do what you can, you put your ass on the line, you pay your, you, uh, you pay your, uh, your, your debt in blood and sweat as you have to, and then you move on. And then you move on. And let that be a lesson to you. There's a time to move on in every job in life. Whether you get out of the military or whether you go into the corporate world or whether you go into the business world or whether you, you start your own business or do your own thing, there will always be a time to move on. Nothing lasts forever. Nothing lasts forever. So those are the points that I think that we should take away from all this. Again, to recap my first point, number one, in any organization, only a very small percentage are really going to be the ones that are going to do the heavy lifting. There are only going to be the ones that are going to do the work. It's just like when you invite a group of people over to help you move your house. How many people do the real lifting and how many people fake lifting? I'm pretty confident that you would agree with me that the majority of people, if given the opportunity to slack off, they will slack off and they will fake lifting. Not all, but many. And the second point is that military organizations or any large organization always have their share or more than their share of bureaucratic inertia, of lassitude, of complacency, of indolence, of laziness. And we have to accept that. Try to make yourself elite and not worry about whether you can make other people elite. Other people are going to do what they're going to do. You can't control that. You can't make somebody be elite. You can't make someone into a hard charger or a go-getter if they are not already that before you met them. So you have to take people as they are. You have to take the raw material that you have and try to work with it. And my other point, I think my third point, was that we have not yet really been involved. The next the next big one is coming. It's still coming. It's It hasn't happened yet, but there is a big one on the horizon. I don't know how long it's going to be. It may be 20, 30. It could be as little as 10 years. 10, 20, 30. We just don't know. My guess would be not more than 30 years. But there are spheres of influence and multipolarities emerging in the world. And when this happens, there is going to be zones of conflict. And people are then going to look back and look back on Afghanistan and Iraq and say, wow, that was the good old days. 5,000 casualties, 6,000 casualties. They have no idea, believe me. You wait to see what the next one is going to look like, where you've got weapons and the full spectrum of technological sophistication that nation states can bring to bear on the battlefield. And you see what that one's going to look like. And when that does happen, a lot of that bullshit, a lot of that graft, a lot of that inefficiency, laziness is going to go right out the window. You'll see, you, you will see battlefield promotions. You'll see incompetent officers getting cashiered. 
You'll see dorks getting fired, court-martialed, thrown out, the whole nine yards. The system corrects itself. The system corrects itself in many ways. The system is a self-writing system. And so you have to have some faith in that. But in the meantime, you also have to do what's in your best interest. And obviously, from reading your article, this guy's article, he felt like he wanted to move on in life. And I respect that. And I think that's great. But those were the points I wanted to make when reading this guy's article. And I, again, as I said, I'm going to post this in the link to this uh, podcast on my site so you can read it. And I just wanted to make those points. So this will conclude our podcast. This is Quintus Curtius with Fortress of the Mind. And this podcast was brought to you courtesy of Fortress of the Mind Productions. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, I would ask that you go to iTunes if you do have an iPhone and just rate me there on iTunes so that others can find this podcast. And we will be visiting with you again here very soon. Take care. Good night.